Well, good evening. Uh, welcome back to another of our uh, Wednesday evening Bible studies. Uh, we are, if this is the first time you've been with us, we're studying through First John, and welcome. We um, we do sort of a verse by verse study, and just a little bit of history. We have been uh, engaged in this Wednesday night verse by verse study for almost ten years. Uh, we've studied a number of different Bible books, and uh, we have. Uh, uh, my goodness, I. I have so grown to love these uh, these studies, the preparation and the just the the digging and the the things that I have to do to get ready have benefited me greatly, and uh, I hope that you have uh, enjoyed these studies. And uh, my goodness, First John has just been a just a tremendous uh, wealth of theological truth, and so tonight is no uh, no exception to that. Some great things, some meaty things that we're going to dig into tonight. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, uh, which was in verse 19, and we'll go from uh, verse 19 through verse 24 of 1 John chapter 3. Let me read through the scriptures. Uh, as is our practice, I'll pray for us, and then we'll get right to it. Let's read uh, beginning in uh, verse 19, 1 John 3, 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Uh, let's, uh, let's ask the Father uh, to bless this tonight. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for another opportunity to come together to open your word. To just, Lord, just sort of let it uh, saturate our minds and our hearts and our, just, just all that we are, Father. I always love, Father, when we kind of slow down and, and just consider your word. So, Holy Spirit, would you take these verses tonight and let them transcend uh, ink on paper. Let them become exactly what the Father intended for them to be, living, alive, active, a sharp, two-edged sword that pierces right to the very soul of us, and it separates things. It separates our, our thoughts and our intents. And it reveals things. It illuminates. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We hide it in us. And in so doing, sin is pushed away from us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do all of that tonight? Um, it's not in our natural selves, Lord. You know that. So we come to you. This is... Not only uh, it's um, it's not only a good practice, Father. It's prescriptive. It's like a it's like a medicine we take that helps us overcome ourselves, Lord, the disease of our fallen nature. Um, we thank you, Father, for the refreshing, for the uh, just the instruction and the change, and the way that your word comes to bear upon all that we are. And that's what we pray you do tonight. Take us. Just form us, Lord, into your image, and in so doing, use us, Lord, to be a benefit to your kingdom and a blessing to the lives that our life comes in contact with as we represent you. 
thank you, Father, for this opportunity. I pray that you would anoint uh, the study that I've done, the knowledge that you've blessed me with, uh, the people that have poured into my life. Take all of that and let it be of some benefit to those who watch this tonight, Lord. Bless them, grow them. Uh, we thank you for this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us again. Uh, let's begin right in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, John writes this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Now, I know that you know that uh, parts of Scripture uh, do different things. For instance, if we had the word uh, therefore, or however, or because of, uh, in the first of this verse, we would know that it links us to the thought that comes before that, and the by this does the same thing. So let's go back and let's pick up First uh, John three eighteen. We started in nineteen. Let's pick up verse eighteen, and let's uh, let's let's read these two verses together. Verse eighteen says, "Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him." This, uh, this, this by this, this idea that through loving, not just in word or talk, but in deed, in action, in, in the love that we have one for the other uh, manifesting itself, John says that in that we know that we are of the truth. So the love, the, the engagement of love, the action of love, serves as a proof, if you will, for um, the, 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 uh, uh, our place in God. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing that John's going to do in these next few verses. He's going to give us some ways, almost like, and I know of you that have, uh, those of you that are familiar with uh, any kind of uh, internal combustion engine, lawnmowers, cars, any of that, one of the things that you need to do with regular, on a regular basis, check the oil. Um, if, you, if you're familiar with a car, a uh, car's got a dipstick, you open the hood, you pull the dipstick out, you wipe what oil is on it, you put it back in, and it gives you a measurement of the level of the oil in the car. It's a, it's a diagnostic tool, very simple mechanical diagnostic tool to let you know if the level of the oil in your engine is sufficient. What John is doing, he's taking things out of the realm of the subjective, and he's given us a very objective way to test yourself to see if the Spirit of Christ and the love that comes from the Spirit of Christ is in you or if it's not. And what he says is you can measure that not by what you say, because how many of you know it's easy to say a thing? Hey, I love you. Hey, God bless you. It's easy to say that. John establishes a way that you can know not only if you love, but if you are in Christ. We'll talk about why that's, as, why that's important. There is this confirmation in our heart when we do the things that Christ instructs us to do. Let me say that again. There is a confirmation in our heart. There's a confirmation in who we are when we do the things. Now, so much, and listen, I, I have to reiterate this because I don't know if you've been here for the weeks that have come previous to this. But uh, if this is the first week you're here, I, I, I want to I say this again. Those of you that have been watching this over subsequent weeks, you know that I've said this many times before. I'm not suggesting a works-based salvation. Go back and watch the other weeks. You'll understand that that's absolutely not uh, what, what I believe, what we teach theologically. But some who teach a salvation by grace, which we do, some who do that, 
they remove any doing from the, from the equation because grace is there. What we do, how we live, what we are, what manifests from our life is irrelevant because of the just the atoning power of the grace provided by the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. I, I don't think we can overstate the power of God's grace and the power of the atonement of Christ. I don't think you can overstate that. However, comma, that does not excuse us from there being a manifestation that follows the reception of that grace. And that, that really is the order. We, we are not saved because we do things. In fact, if you'll go back and look at one of the other weeks, you'll, you'll hear me say things like, it's impossible to manifest the doing uh, on a consistent level except that God's grace has already been applied to your heart. One of the phrases that I say a lot is God is always previous. You wouldn't even be saved if God hadn't extended uh, the conviction and the drawing of the Holy Spirit to you. The scripture tells us that anyone who is saved is drawn to the Father by the Holy Spirit. God still went first. You might think, well, it was my idea to follow God. No, he had still done a work preparing you to make that decision. He had given you a choice. He had laid out the pieces. So grace comes first, but out of that grace, there is an outflow of, well, it's called a lot of different things in the scripture. One place it calls it fruit. Uh, works is another thing that it calls. James talks about, uh, I'll demonstrate my faith by my works. This John is talking about what we do, how we love in deed rather than just in word. All right? And John uses it differently. John is not trying to talk about the fruit of the Spirit or any of those things. He's using the deed as a way that you can check how you're doing spiritually. All right? Notice uh, what he says in John chapter 13, verse 17. Same writer in the gospel, he says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Scripture says, don't just be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. So grace certainly comes first. We are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast, the scripture teaches us. But once grace transforms your life, there is a reciprocal expression of things that are seen, that are verifiable, that are not subjective, but objective, that you can see in a life that has been redeemed by Christ. That is what John's saying. And you can use those things in your own personal life to, uh, to verify your, well, your relationship with Jesus. What is it that is being confirmed? Uh, John says that what's being confirmed is that we are of the truth. So then, if we are once again pointed, or we are once again pointed back towards that anointing that brings knowledge. You say, what are you talking about? Remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. Remember this verse? John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of who Jesus is. Knowledge of Christ as the Son of God, knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah, knowledge of his atoning work, knowledge of your sin and lack of righteousness, knowledge of your need for redemption, which led you to the Lord, that anointing of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that it brings, I believe is the most significant work and manifestation of the Spirit of God in our life. But that, that knowledge, that foundational truth of who Christ is. John says that that thing is, con, 
confirmed in us. We, we have truth now. And that knowledge reveals itself, John says, in that we love one another. There, pretty quickly, you can feel John painting us into a corner. In fact, he does that very well here. He doesn't give any wiggle room. Uh, John, in the verses that have preceded tonight and in this entire chapter, has used love as the, as the qualifier, as the objective standard for those who are in Christ. Do you love? Do you love one another? It is non-negotiable for John. Uh, that knowledge reveals itself in that we love one another, and that revelation in a practical form assures us that we are in the truth. Check your heart. Check the oil. Do you love those that you might not love otherwise? Jesus says, what good is it if a man only loved those who love him? John is saying, we love those, even those who may not love us. Once again, it's a litmus test for the validity of our conversion. Conversely, I think we can draw the conclusion that if we don't love, we can conclude a lack of conversion. It is, they are inexorably linked. You love because Christ first loved you. It, it is unavoidable. If you are contentious and angry all the time and at odds and constantly embroiled in some sort of conflict, maybe you ought to, maybe, maybe ought to check the oil on your conversion. John says love is a great indicator of our conversion. Why does he do that? Why does John give us this? Why does he feel the need to establish for us uh, a non-subjective? I hope you understand what I mean. Not, not just something that you feel. Something that's external. Something that can be verified. Why does he feel the need to give us a... Uh, a test of sorts, a litmus, not a test administered, but a test that you can, a standard, that's a better word, a standard by which you can assess yourself. Let me tell you, and I know you will understand this because sometimes you just don't feel it. Ever experienced that? Ever had that moment where you go, you know, am I really even saved? I know this, I know the story. I know, I know what Jesus did for me. I know, you ever have that moment where you're just not feeling it? I know I have. How do, you, how do you then have confidence? And that's a word that we're going to see, a very important word in just a moment in the scripture. John says the way that you can know is do you love? Do you love? Well, yes, I do. I'm not really feeling the Holy Ghost goosebumps. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. I'm not feeling the emotional uh, rush that I feel sometimes in a moment of worship. I just feel kind of down. The world's kind of, well, in this pandemic time we're living in, maybe some of you are going through days and you go, you know, man, I just don't, just don't feel it right now. Did, did I backslide? Did I? No. Sometimes, and that's what John's going to talk about, this body we dwell in can work against us maintaining the sense that, no, I, I love God. He loves me. We, we are engaged in relationship, and I'm his. Uh, that, that test that John gives us that we love is uh, because sometimes we just don't feel it. It's interesting in this, uh, in this verse, um, in, verse uh, in verse 19, he says, By this we shall know that we are, uh, are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Sometimes your heart works against you. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, let me, let me give you just a little bit of knowledge just so you'll understand 
uh, and there won't be any, any confusion. It, the word heart, if you look back at the original language in the Greek, it is a word from which we get the word cardiothoracic, uh, cardiac. It's, it's the Greek word cardia. Uh, and it means the literal, literal uh, uh, book definition, the locus of a person's thoughts, their mind, their volition, their emotions and knowledge of right and wrong, their conscious, understood as the heart. It's the it's your thoughts, it's your consciousness, it's the ethic that is within you, it's yourself uh, other than the skin, bone. It's not the physical heart, it's the, it's the psychology of who you are, it's your psyche. And this says that, that the, the, uh, the ability to love and the ability to look and see love is a way that you can be reassured uh, in your heart, in the, your thoughts, in your emotions, in your consciousness before God. Right? There are times when you just don't feel it. And reassure communicates persuasion and convincing. So the love that comes out of you can persuade you when you don't feel it. When you're not persuaded, that's what reassure means, the love that's coming out of you for others, that's a great test for the Spirit of Christ working in you. Let's look at verse 20, 1 John 3.20. For whenever, and here's really the crux of it, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Now, remember what heart means, your thoughts, your emotions, your your. Um, your consciousness, your understanding of right and wrong, you ever have one of those periods of time, maybe even a season when that part of you was telling you something else. When you, in essence, were in a state of mind, in a state of being that you didn't feel like however you thought you were supposed to feel in order to assess your relationship with the Lord. Here's the problem with that. Sometimes we equate that that thought, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it. Here's what the enemy does. He, he, he causes you to say, I think I've lost my faith. Because we equate that feeling to faith. I feel like I'm, I, can, I can really do something for God. Woo, my faith is high. We've misunderstood what faith is, and we've misunderstood how our thoughts and our faith can actually be separate things. Do you still love somebody that's not necessarily lovable? I'm not talking about just being in a bad mood for a day. I'm talking about the season that you go through where, you, where you're not, you just don't feel however it is you think you're supposed to feel when God is working in you. Uh, John says that sometimes our heart, our mind, our consciousness, our volition, our emotions, all of those, it condemns us. But he says that God is greater than that and he knows everything. Even things about you that you don't know, he knows. There is a sense here that there is a part of ourselves that works against us at times. A part of ourselves that works against what God's trying to do. The Greek word translated condemns here, your heart condemns you. It's only found in one other place in all of the New Testament. It's found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Let me read you that just so you'll, you'll see the pretty much our understanding of it. But Galatians 2, 11 says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. The issue there was that Peter was 
acting sort of two-faced. At, at one point, he is eating with, um, with Gentile believers without any issue, and then when other Jews come around, he stops that and begins to act all sort of, sort of uh, Jewish piism and, and, and Paul takes him to task. Hey, look, how come you act one way when they're not around and you act another? And he condemns Peter because of that. John is saying sometimes our heart does that to us. We, we, we feel condemned by our own, own, own sort of the inside of us. There are times when because of how we feel or think, we question if we really have faith. And John uses the presence of love for those around us as a metric that God fully knows how to override how we feel in a given moment. God can use the love that you have to convince you, to reassure you of your standing in Him and in the truth. Um, do you see why love is such a powerful uh, presence in our life? It's not only good for those around us, John uses it as a litmus test, as an indicator, like the dipstick on your car, so that you'll be able to ascertain whether or not you are living in the truth. Now, that's when you sort of condemn yourself. It can go the other way as well. There might be times when, whoo, man, I feel like I love God and God loves me. Man, I am on the mountaintop, but I can't stand anybody else. No, that's, that's, that's wrong as well. You see, our feelings can be subjective, and, and I am very prone, and I bet you are as well, to determine which of my feelings are godly and which of them aren't, and that's unhealthy. You and I can't be the judge of what's godly. There's only one objective, not subjective standard of that, and that's not how I feel. That's God's Word. So God's Word says... It is the manifestation of love from us, one to the other, that is actually a determinant of our standing in God, not how I feel, not how you feel. Ooh, I feel saved. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing. Yeah, but do you love those around you, and do you love those that aren't necessarily loving you? Because John says that's the test, not how you feel, whether that feeling condemning you or telling you are right, either one of those is a subjective standard, and you can't base it. And I, we certainly can't base our eternal standing on that, how I feel, because our heart, our mind, our volition, our emotions, our consciousness, our knowledge of good and evil, those can all, and they all are a part of our fallen nature. And you, they are not good measurements of our standing. John gives us a very objective standard. All right? Let's look at uh, verses 21 and 22. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Now, a couple of things that I want to point out before we get into the meat of these two verses, and I put them together because they're best understood together. Um, John, once again, uses the Greek word uh, agape toy. We've seen it at least three times in this uh, in First John so far, agape toy, it's the word translated beloved. It's something that he uses over and over. What's kind of interesting is um, this may have been a term that Jesus loved. I can't take you to a verse of Scripture that proves that. Here's why I say that. It's found in a lot of other biblical writers' greetings. It's a term that they use often 
people that spent a fair amount of time with Jesus and those who were impacted by those who spent time with Jesus, they use this term a lot, beloved, agape toi. Um, just a neat what if, that's all, just a, a neat what if. I like the fact that the Son of God manifested in the incarnation, that God himself living among us would have referred to people close to him as beloved. Um, what a great, what a great picture of, of God's love for us. Uh, it's, a, it's certainly a term of endearment. And whether that's true or not, whether Jesus used it or not, um, Paul uses it eight times in his writings uh, in the book of Hebrews. It's used there once. James uses it three times. Peter uses it five times. And Jude uses it three times. And then John has it a number of times here in his writings. Um, this, this endeared uh, beloved, beloved, if our heart condemns us. And once again, it reminds us that while John is being pretty straightforward, he's not doing so out of a heart that's angry or condescending. He loves these people that he's talking to, even though he's being very straightforward with them. Uh, he consistently refers to them as his beloved. Uh, he says here, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, I want us to spend just a few moments on that. My goodness, what's the value of confidence before God? Not, not arrogance, not, let's go the other way, not fear, not, not um, and certainly it's not, um, it's not disrespectful of God's holiness and his reverence and his magnitude, but John says that because of the confirmation of the love that is in us, we can stand before God. We can stand in God's presence with confidence. Man, that's, if, if you think you're all of that, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. But if you understand your lack of righteousness and you have considered and comprehended to any degree God's righteousness and who God is in reference to who we are, then you get a sense of what confidence before God is really just the magnitude of it and just the extravagance of it and the wonder of how that's even possible, but it is. And John says that because our heart can't condemn us, we have confidence before God. There are several other scriptures that speak about that. A couple of them are in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So this confidence, this sense, this and, and this confidence is, let me point this out, it is a component of our cardia, of our consciousness, of our thoughts, of our emotions, of our volition, of our ability to judge between right and wrong. So rather than even that part of us condemning us, if we understand and apply that test of do we love, you and I can come to the place where we have confidence rather than being condemned in our thoughts. Uh, John says if we, if we do that, then we, uh, if our heart's not condemning us and we've overcome it by understanding what love is, then we have confidence. 
Another verse of scripture from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says this, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. We're talking about that reward. Don't throw it away. How do you throw it away? Well, you, you dilute the word of God from your mind. You fill your mind with all of the philosophies of the world. You deny the truth of God's word. You deny the revelation power of the Holy Spirit in you. You fellowship only with the philosophies of the world and those that espouse and embrace those philosophies. And eventually, you've, you, well, you've polluted your mind and in so doing, not with some act of your volition, but you throw away your confidence and you lose the reward of that confidence before God. You don't feel like you have a right to come. Understand the choice is always on us. God has done the work necessary. The scripture says that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And yet we choose to do certain things. And when we do, one of the consequences, and there are many uh, enumerated in the scripture, but one of the things we do is we throw away our confidence. Let me give you one more verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, one that you perhaps might know, the one that most people know. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews still leans upon this sense of our our part in the in the family of God that gives us confidence to come before him you don't have to you don't have to beg and squabble in the presence of your father if you maintain the confidence and John goes back to teaching us that one of the ways we do that is through the expression and not just the words but the actual action the deed of loving those around us it's a powerful correlation and it's a really interesting one that the world's not necessarily going to teach us do you, do you begin, as we've gone through this, and we've, we've hit it several times, do you begin to get a sense of the magnitude of what loving others reveals in and about you? Do you, you begin to get a sense of how when Jesus said that a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears, that where you see a lack of love, you are not seeing Jesus. Let me say that again. Where you find a lack of love, when you find selfishness, greed, when you find an inability to forgive, when you find those who are narcissistic and the whole world revolves around them and conflict abounds, when you find a lack of love, you have not found Jesus or you have found the absence of Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful picture of what's important. It, it, it really clarifies things about what we are to be in the body of Christ. That, that confidence in us has a result. Now, look at verse, uh, look at the next verse. Uh, look at verse 22. That confidence then has a consequence. It says this, uh, verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We'll talk about each of that. Now, before we go any further, I know everybody's like, yeah, oh, we got you now. I want to see how you're going to answer this, Pastor Roy, because not every prayer is answered. no. And this isn't saying every prayer. This, is, this isn't saying, you know, I, I want a whatever and it falls from heaven. That's not what this is saying. Let me show you this. Because you can't take one verse and create a doctrinal truth. You have to take the whole of God's word. You have to take the full counsel of God's word. And John, even in this epistle, he clarifies this. Look at 1 John chapter 5, 
verses 13, 14, and 15. John writes this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's See, that's John stating the same thing. Here's All of this is about you knowing that you have eternal life. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. Very similar language again, that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ah, so John qualifies it. It's not just anything. It's anything in accordance with God's will. He hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And if we know he hears us, all right? So John qualifies it. It is not just anything. It's this sense that we begin to align ourselves with the will of God. And not everything that I want is the will of God. It's when I pray in accordance with God's will that I get anything I ask. And that's, 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 uh, that's verified throughout many scriptures. This isn't a God didn't just a vending machine. Hey, there's a new whatever. I pull it and God dispenses it. Hey, I do. That, that, that's, not, that's not Christianity. That's not faith. That's, well, that's witchcraft. That's really what that is. I have a formula where I do a certain thing in a certain way and I get what I want. That's not, that's not Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. That is, by definition, witchcraft. I have figured out a way to make spiritual beings do what I want and give me what I desire and that's, uh, that's not the life of uh, sacrifice and the life of crucifying a flesh and the life of, of sacrificing yourself and not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought but thinking of others. That's, that's Christianity. That, that thing that says, I'm looking for a verse that tells me I get whatever I want, that's uh, you, you, your premise. You've begun in the wrong way. Um, prayer that is answered is much more than the rote repetition of religious rhetoric. It has within it a confidence within the presence of God, a knowing of God's heart and will that only comes through the Holy Spirit's leading. And that's what John is teaching us here, that as we draw closer in our confidence and our knowledge of Him, we become more aligned with God's will, and then we pray in accordance with that will. Um Look at verse 23, and this is his commandment, because in verse 22, John says, and we know that he hears us when in what, or excuse me, um, in verse 22, uh, let me back up here, I'm reading the wrong verse, uh, verse 22, he says, uh, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, uh, in verse 23, then, he says, and this is his commandment, John uh, elucidates what the commandment is, that we believe the commandment of God is believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. Uh, the primary fulfillment of God's desire for humanity, the number one thing that God wants us to do is to accept the lordship of Christ upon our lives and that from that we would then love one another. This sounds very much like the language that Jesus uses when the rich young ruler came to him uh, or, or when a young man came to him and said, Lord, um, you know, I, um, I, I want to know what the greatest commandment is, Lord. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verses uh, 37 through 40, listen to Jesus' answer. It sounds very much like John's. He says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. 
this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. John says, uh, you get what you ask if you fulfill his commandment. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Um, so this, this idea of us loving God, loving Jesus, accepting the name of Jesus, accepting who Jesus is, loving God, and loving others is so centric to the Christian life. There is no escaping it. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Once again, use it in any context you want. Am I a Christian? I don't know. Do you love God and love others? Great litmus test. Uh, is this a mature spiritual believer? You can apply it everywhere. I don't know. Do they love God and love others? Great foundational truth. Uh, is this a person that I can trust? I don't know. Do they love God and do they love others? Hey, should I marry this person? I don't know. Do they love God and do they love others? How should I raise my children? Hey, let's raise our children to love God and love others. It is a central. It is perhaps... I think it would not be an, a, an exaggeration to say this is the central truth of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Love God and love other people. It's everywhere. It's foundational. And John is establishing that truth. Mm, that's, that clarifies so many things, doesn't it? Um, my goodness. Uh, how should I respond to a pandemic? Hey, here's a novel idea. Why don't you just love God and love other people? Who should I vote for? I don't know. Let's look for somebody that might love God and love other people. Apply it to the life uh, that you live. It is foundational. Uh, should I, and then you fill in the blank, should, should a Christian do that? I don't know. Can you do that and not compromise the testimony of your love for God and your love for other people? It's not, that's not all that you need, but it's a great starting place for a whole lot. Amen? Let's look at verse 24 and finish this up tonight. This has been good. Man, I, I don't know. I, we could go back through that. There's a lot more stuff in that. But let me, uh, let me get to verse 24. Uh, John says this. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Um, once again, commandments in this context, in the context of 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 3, his commandments are believing in Christ, loving God, and loving one another. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Now, we, we know that that word abides is stronger than just stays. It's a, it's a little bit like uh, you moved in. You, 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 you bought a piece of land and built a house. You put down roots. You established a foundation. You have come to stay. Um, if anyone keeps his commandments, that by doing that, you abide in God. Now listen, you can think about that two ways. You can think about that as the prescription that helps you abide in God or as the revealer of whether you're abiding in God. Do you keep God's commandments? These, once again, in this context, the commandment that John is talking about is loving God and loving one another. You can help yourself abide by getting up today, tomorrow, the next day, and saying, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to believe in who Christ is. And I'm going to love those around me. I'm going to put myself second. 
I'm going to try to make decisions that benefit those around me before they benefit me. They may also benefit me, but I'm going to think about loving those around me first. And in so doing, I abide in Christ. Why? Because that's, that's the nature of the kingdom of God. It, it's, so it's not only prescriptive, it is also, it's also a great exam. Am I abiding? I don't know. Do I love the Lord? And am I indeed, not just in word, but indeed am I loving those around me? Um, and then John says, and he closes this, uh, this chapter out by saying, and by this we know that he abides. How do you know that? By the spirit whom he has given us. In this context, the spirit is not a proof but rather a means. Uh, and by this we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. It is, once again, God going before us, God doing the work, drawing us, pulling us, the Holy Spirit abiding in us that convicts and constrains and moves us to a place wherein we believe in the work that God has done in us and we have confidence in it. Um, Great, just a great study about what it means to be a Christ follower and how it is that you can know and, and keep checking on the status of your relationship with the Lord. Do you love those around you? Do you love the Lord and do you love those around you? Um, great place to start every day. Today I'm going to love the Lord and I'm going to love those around me. You say, oh, that's, that's pretty easy, really. <laughs> I don't know, have you lived five minutes in this world? Um, you're going to run into some people that aren't as loving and you're going to run into people that won't reciprocate your love. Um, don't sweat that. Uh, love anyway. Well, listen, this has been great tonight. It's been a little shorter than some of our Wednesday night classes, but I think that's all right as well. Let me encourage you to do a couple of things. Uh, if you haven't already, and I say it every week, I'm going to keep saying it until some of you hear it because slowly you're trickling in. Um, if you haven't already signed up for uh, our Through the Bible reading, I want to encourage you to do so. You can find that. Uh, easiest place to do it is on Facebook. Just search Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. Um, go there. It's a private group. If you'll, you feel asked to join, search Facebook up in the search window. Type in Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. You say, why do you tell us how to do that? We know how to do it. Well, you'd be amazed how many people say, I can't find it. Where is it? Go up to the little search window, a little magnifying glass. Type in Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. Hit return. You'll find that group. You'll have to ask to join. And when you do, it'll give me a notification. And usually within a day, I'll see that notification. And I'll approve you to be a part. Over 170 of us now, I think, that are reading through the Bible every day. It only takes about 15 minutes a day. An Old Testament section, a New Testament section, a psalm, and a proverb. And in 15 minutes a day, in a year, you'll read through the entire Bible. Uh, my goodness, the days that you spend in God's Word will be stronger days. The days you miss it, you'll be weaker. And you spend multiple days out of it, and you will get weaker still. You'll find strength and vitality surging into your relationship with the Lord, and you'll have more confidence to come before God as you hide His Word in your heart. It is good in every way for your relationship with Him that you would be in the Word.